Anybody know what year it is? No one? I'm not alone. No one knows what year it is. It's 2018. Why? Human history is going on for thousands and thousands of years. Why is it 2018? Our very calendar reminds us that there was a man who came and lived an incredible life and died a horrific death. But because of his resurrection, our very calendar teaches us that he changed all of human history for everyone forever. And that's amazing. You know, there are different ways of really measuring history and human history, and people do it different ways. Uh, Some people track it by following political systems, you know, powers and nations and kingdoms and that kind of things. Others do it through the arts. You know, they track human history by sculptures and paintings and music and dance. Some people track human history through technology. This was created at this time and that time. Some people do it through revolutions and and conquests. But the Bible tracks history in a unique way. And today, I'm not going to do the traditional text where the tomb was empty because I think we've all heard that many times. But I want to kind of look at a text that was written by this guy named Solomon. And many of you know Solomon was King David's son. And Solomon was an interesting guy. Uh, Some people say he was the most powerful, wealthiest man that ever lived in history. Solomon was a guy who's just trying to make sense of life. And isn't that what we're all really doing? Trying to make sense of life. Trying to figure out what life's about to bring some meaning into our story. You know, I spent 35 years of my life trying to find meaning, doing so many different things. And, you know, I just never really found it. In a point of desperation at 35 years old, about this time of year, I looked up in desperation and cried out to God to try to find meaning. And it's amazing. I started finding some meaning. I started finding some purpose. I started discovering answers. And, you know, all of a sudden anxiety was turned to peace and Everything changed in my life, not, not in a perfect sense, but in a definite, measurable sense where people who knew me well were like, what happened to him? It's the guy who came 2018 years ago, and my life became radically changed. And you know, here's the mistake that I made for 35 years that most people make when they're looking for answers and meaning, is they look within. They look within themselves. And one of the things that I learned is if I could have found it within, I probably would have found some answers in those 35 years. But these questions are just too deep for human intellect. We have to look to a much higher power than anything we possess. you got to look to God. And here's the wonderful thing about God is if you look to God, look with him authentically and wholeheartedly, you absolutely will find him. In fact, Jeremiah 29, 13 is a wonderful promise we find in Scripture. This is from God. He says this, If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And we certainly need God's help to make sense of where we fit into human history. With all that has happened in the past, all that is happening now, and all that will happen in our future. And Solomon, this guy who had so many resources and so much understanding, he was this guy looking for answers. And he wrote this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He wrote, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, 
A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be quiet and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. That's as far as you go with this thing. Something becomes clear. That life, when it goes to meaning and purpose, is quite complex. It really is. Can you imagine that scripture? A time to hate? That's a really Christian principle, isn't it? And yet Solomon, and yet this is scripture, says there's a time for everything. It seems that when we read this, that their life is just full of contradictions. That life pulls you into such extreme places. And so as we gather today, we can say that a service like this can be quite inspiring with the music and the message of the resurrection. And yet it can be quite perplexing as well, if we're honest. Because the truth is, someone here is probably experiencing great joy. Yet in the same room, there might be another enduring tremendous sorrow. The reality of life is that while one is celebrating a great victory, another is crying and sorrowing over a loss. While one is finding, another's losing. At the same moment, one person is loving at the highest level. Another person may be struggling with hate and unforgiveness. We live in a world of contradiction if we're honest with ourselves. If we don't just glaze ourselves over with this Christian everything's happy, joy, joy, joy. That's not reality, is it? That's not the reality of life. Oh, there is a message of joy. There is a message of redemption. But it's just not all happy, happy, joy, joy, is it? Not if we have our eyes open. Not if we're real. Not if we're engaging. We live in a world of contradiction. And if we're honest, that contradiction exists inside of each one of us. Of course, Solomon goes on, verse 9. He said, what do people really get for all their hard work? I've seen the burden God has placed on us all. In verse 11, he has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. And basically what Solomon is saying is, hey man, if this is all there is, if this is all we have, God has placed a burden on our heart that is too hard, that's unbearable. See, he says God has placed eternity in each of our hearts. In other words, no matter how great something is in your life, it's not going to fill that void. Because, you see, temporary things can never fill our hearts that were created for the eternal. I know this is such an encouraging message, isn't it? (laughs) Nothing temporary will ever satisfy And you know what? If that's all there was to the message, I could just pray right now. We could go home depressed, right? It's true. But I purposely left out the first part of verse 11. You might have noticed. And I highlighted it. It says this. Check this out. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. May I submit something to you this Easter morning? That God takes broken things and makes beautiful things out of it. 
That God is a master artist that wants to take your life and make something beautiful out of it. No matter the broken parts or the tragedy. You see, life is a tension between tragedy and beauty. But there is something that you must understand about our stories. About God and about ourselves. And it's our timeless truth that never changes. It's this. We are the authors of tragedy. Human beings. Yet God is the artisan of beauty. See, we are broken. We are fallen. We're the ones who create havoc and cause pain. And yet, God can take the broken pieces of our lives and story and make something incredibly beautiful out of it. Particularly when the light shines through it. Check this out. What type of artwork is that? Somebody who's really smart. That's a mosaic. It's stained glass and it's a mosaic. Beautiful. But how is a mosaic made? A mosaic is taken from scraps of throwaway glass. And some guy who's a master artist takes those broken pieces and he puts them together in such a way that it makes something beautiful out of that which was broken. Watch this. Particularly when the light shines through it. And look at that. Is that not just breathtaking? The beauty created out of brokenness. And can I just be honest and say this? That we, those of us in the church of Jesus Christ, are broken pieces. In a way, we're kind of the broken scrap pieces. But watch this. This is the beautiful part of that. That God can take the broken pieces and put them together in such a way that it's something amazing and beautiful, particularly when the light shines through it. And what Solomon is saying is this. He's saying if you trust God, he'll take the broken pieces of your existence and story and make something extraordinary out of it. But I have to say this. If you go it alone, the beauty, the significance will be diminished significantly. You see, if I had one scrap piece of uh, stained glass, it'd still be cool. The light can still shine through it. But when it's put together with other broken pieces, it becomes something extraordinary. When we allow God to put us together, the broken pieces of our lives and existence and stories together, he can create something beautiful that is far more significant than anything you can do on your own. And that is the story of redemption that God has brought us to because of what Christ did. You can't go it alone. And too many people think they can find meaning in life alone. And they just never do because you got to allow God to place you among the other pieces. And you have to allow the light to shine through in order to become all that God wants you to become. Well, what is that light? Or better yet, who is the light? Well, the Apostle John describes him this way in his gospel. John 1, starting with verse 4. He said, in him, Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men and women. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. John the Baptist was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Check this out. Yet the world did not know him. 
He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, not the broken stuff, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's amazing. And of course, John's describing Jesus. He calls him the light that shines through men. They could take something broken and rebirth it into something amazing and beautiful. We just don't think that way. We think, oh, it's broken. Something breaks, what do we do? Oh, it's broken. Throw it away. But in this story and in this life, God is different. He looks at things different and he says, I can take tragedy and make beauty out of it. I can take something broken and make something amazing out of it. And that's the story. Look at verse 11 again. Verse 11, he says, He came to his own, Jesus, and his own people did not receive him. Which explains a lot about this weekend, the Easter weekend, which starts with Jesus broken on the cross. Things were broken and tragic. But it's today, the day that he was resurrected, and everything started afresh and new. You know what amazes me? That God would take something so tragic the breaking of his own son and create something majestic and beautiful out of it. Let me ask you something. Have you ever felt like the color was gone out of your life? You ever felt that way just because of life and the way things come about? Watch this. that video illustrates our stories. God's story that he's writing that although things in life can be confusing and things can be bad and bad things happen because we live in a fallen and broken world and yet God has taken all that which is broken and is creating something beautiful when the light shines through. And Sunday, this Easter Sunday is a day where we celebrate because all that was broken was overcome by Christ's love for each and every one of us. But let me ask you this. Is it possible to be in the presence of beauty and not recognize it? You know, sometimes in the world of art, we talked about history being engaged by art. Sometimes I don't get it. Bill went to the Louvre and and he brought me back pictures. He came to my house and showed me. I love art and beauty. But there's some things I don't get about art, like abstract I mean, I've looked at, at, I just can't see abstract art. I just don't get it. I'll be looking at something, somebody, these people will be like, extraordinary. And I'm like going, huh? I mean, I wouldn't give five bucks for that. But I do realize it's just because I just don't have the eyes to be able to perceive that beauty. Somehow I'm just not wired up with the gifts to be able to see what others can see. But it's not just about what we see in art. It's about taste as well. I'm a southern boy, and I grew up fishing my whole life and absolutely loved to fish. Loved to catch fish, and I love to eat fish, especially when it's fresh and you drop that stuff in oil. Because I'm southern. You fry the fish. That's how you cook it. You fry. In fact, you fry everything. But as I got older, I learned something, that if every time you eat, you fry then sooner rather than later, you will surely die. 
So I began to experiment with fish, you know, blackening fish, which is a little more healthy, grilling it, broiling it. I just tried to experiment with all these different ways of cooking fish. And I learned that if it's done the right way, man, it's extraordinary. That fish can be really sometimes better than frying when you grill it and then, and uh, when you cook it in different ways. Well, one day I went offshore about an hour east of Ponce Inlet. I caught the fish of my life. I caught this giant tuna. And I mean, it was a heck of a fight. And I got that fish on board. And I mean, it was a slab of meat. It was more meat than I had ever had in my life when it comes to fresh fish. And so we took that home, man. And I mean, I started cooking it all kinds of different ways. Experimenting, you know. We were broiling it. I was baking it. I was grilling it. Blacking it. You know, just any way. Because I had so much tuna, you know. And I didn't really want to freeze it. And we're just eating tuna. It was amazing. I steamed some of it and made tuna fish salad. Oh, not like the stuff you get out of the can, man. I mean, it was incredible. So I had this friend, you know, as we're trying to discover new ways, how many ways can you cook a tuna, fresh tuna? And he was a chef. He had been to culinary school, worked at a fancy restaurant in Winter Park. And he goes, have you ever had that cooked in a steak medium rare? And I'm like, medium what? I go, it's fish, not not beef. He goes, oh, you got to let me do this. You got to let me do this. And I'm like, I'm not eating raw fish, man. He goes, but he insisted and he was a friend. So, you know, what do you do? So anyway, he goes in the kitchen and he takes these steaks, man, and he cooks it. And when he brought it to me, you know, he's smiling. It looked okay on the outside until I cut it with a fork and I looked inside and I'm pretty sure the fish could remember me catching it. You know, it's just red and, you know, but what do you do? He's a friend. So I stuck the fork in it. And I put it in my mouth, and it melted. And I'm pretty sure it was then that I met God. <laughs> but seriously, it was fantastic. I could not believe it. And, you know, and now, now, I mean, I'll go to the sushi bar. They don't even have to, it doesn't even have to be medium rare. I'll eat it raw. But here's my point. Is it possible to train yourself to not appreciate the best? You get so used to the mundane or the, you know, the black and white that you miss the color. You get so used to the ordinary that you miss the extraordinary. You know, when I was a kid, my favorite coffee was Folgers. You know why? Because it's mountain grown. And then one day I discovered, guess what? All coffee is mountain grown. And coffee back then was just a different thing. But uh, then all these coffee houses started popping up. And then, you know what? I discovered real coffee and now i'm a coffee snob i'll drink coffee not too many places though at home i have two different kind of beans i grind together and have my special creamer and i am a coffee snob is it possible here's my point that we can become so accustomed to the ordinary that when the extraordinary shows up we miss it is it possible that god could come to earth and be so beautiful but because we're not used to it we miss him Well, 700 years before the birth of Christ, the book of Isaiah was written by the prophet, and he predicted that very thing. This is what he wrote. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. 
He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his sin. But he was pierced for our rebellion. Crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. Isn't that a tragic story? That this guy in the middle of his life, in the prime of his life, he's 33 years old. He's killed. He has no children. He has no family. He has no descendants. How tragic is that? But it goes on to say this. He was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. And here's where it turns. And here's where the broken has turned into beautiful. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many, many descendants. More than you could ever have naturally. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteousness. For he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was accounted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. Amazing that Isaiah 700 years before he was born wrote all that about Jesus. But I skip verse 2. And verse 2 said this, My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Let me ask you this. How is it possible that God, the source of all that is beautiful, could walk the earth and we miss him? That he could take on flesh and be perfect, the perfect manifestation of love, and yet we respond with violence? How could the creator of everything that is beautiful walk among us and we see no beauty in him and yet miss it? Could all of creation be screaming to us that God is alive and good and full of truth and that his love could completely transform us and yet we be blind to that invitation? Let me ask you something. Is it possible? Well, I think it is. Romans 1.20 says this, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they have no excuse. You see, all of creation reflects God's glory and is shouting to us that he is the source of all that is good, that he is the source of love, that he is the source of life, that he is the source of forgiveness and hope. And so every day when you wake up and see the sunrise, it's God telling you that I am beautiful. Do you see my beauty? When you hear children laugh and it brings joy to your heart, it is a reminder that God is the source that all is good. When you see a beautiful lake or a beach and it soothes your soul, it is creation declaring the beauty of God. And yet somehow we did not see beauty in Jesus. 
Is it possible that we can become so accustomed to living in an inhumane world that we've forgotten what it means to be fully human? That we stop believing the very best in us can be awakened and be brought back to life. John wrote this at the beginning of his gospel. He starts it, in the beginning was the word, that is the logos, that is Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him, watch this, was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then we skip down to verse 14. He says this, and the word and Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. And John is telling us this, that God walked among us in all of his splendor and all of his glory and all of his beauty. Yet we can remain blind to him if we refuse to open our eyes and our hearts to that reality. It is possible to miss God's beauty if we choose to remain hard-hearted and close-minded. And the thing that you have to understand is things happen and they're bad. But look at the bigger picture. What is God doing? And what is God going to bring about this? can help your understanding that God is a good God, that God is a loving God, but God is a redeeming God. And he can take things that are dead and bring life into it. He can take things that are broken and make beautiful things out of them. It's his nature. And as we celebrate Easter this morning, I was reminded that sometimes only in tragedy can we have our eyes opened to the beauty therein. Well, at the end of John's gospel, we see that very thing happen. He says this, this is doubting Thomas, who was not always doubting. I mean, there are times if you read the gospel where it was Thomas that go, yeah, let's follow him. It was Thomas that was one of the leaders. But at the end of the gospel, we see this. But Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. <laughs> but Thomas said what most of us would say, right? <laughs> Unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, and I put my finger into the place of the nails, I put my hand to his side. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to believe all that. Well, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said this, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. I wonder if what God longs for us this morning is that we're able to see the beauty in the tragedy. That God would step into human history and give himself as a gift of love. And allow himself to be the sacrifice that sets us free. A sacrifice of love for his children. That through the shedding of blood, we might receive forgiveness of sins. So that through his torment, his beating, his death, his scars, we might see the beauty of God's love for us. See, the reason we celebrate Easter is because the tomb is empty. He is risen and he is alive. He brought beauty out of tragedy. He brought life out of death. He brought hope out of despair. He brought love out of hate. And because of Sunday's resurrection, 
Friday became a good day. But here's my question, and I'll close with this. I wonder if for some of us, perhaps we're still stuck on Friday. In your faith, or maybe just in your life, God wants to take you from Good Friday to Resurrection Sunday, where God's love overcame all the hate, all the violence, all the evil in our hearts. All of that could not keep him in that grave. And this much I know, that whatever pain or difficulty you've had, whatever confusion or doubt, whatever successes or failures you've experienced, I know this, that in spite of all the hardships, tragedies, and disappointment, God wants to make something beautiful out of your life. If you'll just simply trust in his salvation for you. At the end of John's gospel, he explains why he wrote the gospel in the first place. And he says this, Jesus did many other miracles in the presence of his followers that are not written in this book. He explains why he wrote it. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Then by believing, you may have life in his name. That the light may shine through you and that's out of tragedy, something beautiful in your story and in your relationships can come. Because God is the Redeemer of all things. And Easter and Resurrection Sunday is the ultimate illustration of God redeeming everything. And he says this, I am making all things new. And there will come a day, we're not there yet, when we're all gathered and everything is redeemed and everything is new, but we're not there yet. But Easter is a reminder that we're on that journey and that God, when we put our faith in him, he will get us all there. But the beauty of the story comes when we do it together. Pray with me. Father, I thank you that you are a redeeming God. I thank you, Lord, that the story did not end with the cross. That the cross is the beginning of the story. That Resurrection Sunday is how you redeemed everything. God, I pray for everyone in this room. Everyone listening to my voice, Lord. If there's some that do not know you that they would begin to process your redemption. Lord, I pray for those of us who do follow you and know you, Lord, that when tragedy strikes in our life, that when we see brokenness, Lord, that we would understand this is a part of your story that you're writing, that you will redeem everything, that you will make all things new, that Habakkuk 2.14 is a day we're heading where once again, the glory of the Lord will shine in creation as the water covers the sea. God, help us when we're struggling to understand that you're a resurrecting Father, that you are a redeeming God, and that everything in our life, Lord, will be redeemed. You just ask us to trust you and walk with you. And we pray this all in the most wonderful, glorious name, the name of Jesus. Amen.